Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome to episode number five of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And today's gonna be a little bit of a deviation, a slight curveball, a change from the normal format. Yep, I'm gonna be joined by a guest on today's show. And not just any guest, but Dr. William Harvey of Harvey Family Dentistry. Will Harvey is a dentist I've known for a number of years now who has built a really successful group practice. He is humble, he's hungry and smart, to borrow a couple of phrases from a book I like. And I think you'll find some of his insights to be immediately applicable to the businesses that you're trying to build out there in the wild blue yonder. So be sure to take a, uh, another swig of that awful Keurig coffee. Get your notepad and pen ready. We've got episode five and we're ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. Once again, thanks to everyone for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. And it's not just me on the podcast today. Like I mentioned in the introduction, I'm joined by Dr. Will Harvey of Harvey Family Dentistry, a gentleman I've known for a number of years and had the pleasure to work with. And he is joining us on what we're calling personal journeys for this particular podcast. And the goal here is for the audience, all of you, to get to hear from an entrepreneur who's living your same highs and lows and really who is experiencing the same things you either have experienced or are about to experience and where uh, it'll allow you to, to hopefully learn from some of Dr. Harvey's journey from his perspective, not just from mine. Obviously, I know him very well. I've spent a lot of time with him. He's a class A guy. And more importantly, he's built a wonderful business that I hold in high admiration. So I'm really thankful to have him in on the uh, the podcast, Personal Journeys, this afternoon. Will, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Perrin. It, it's my honor to be here. I appreciate everyone tuning in. As he was saying, I'm a, a dentist in Eastern North Carolina. I've been practicing for about 15 years and in the group space for, say, the last five. And there have been a couple of ups and downs. Will is also in eastern North Carolina where hurricanes have been known to rear their ugly heads from time to time. So it's not just the trials and tribulations of, of running a group dental practice. It is literally at times a battle against the elements, right? I was going to mention that, you know, uh, I was reading through some of the, uh, the the guidelines for today and I saw, you know, like what was your low point? And I'd, I'd have to say that my, uh, my rock bottom was when I met Perrin. Um, <laughs> we're, we're not getting off on the right foot. Yeah, Will. Yeah. <laughs> In all seriousness, um, a hurricane had just come through, destroyed my house. Um, we lost power and closed down pretty much every location for about two weeks. And uh, needless to say, numbers were not looking great at that point. I believe an analyst that was in the room asked, you know, he was confused why we were having the meeting in the first place and uh, asked why we would want to scale inefficiency. Um, and and I, I'd have to say he was right on track, but uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm thankful that parents saw something in, in me or in our business and, and decided that day to, uh, to work with us. And, you know, the rest is history. I, I credit him with, uh, a lot of our successes, uh, since then and, and knock on wood, we've had a, a few years where we've had a little mercy from hurricane season. And so that's, that's been a, uh, an upside for us. Yeah. I, I, uh, I would tell the audience that, um, everybody, who uh, survived and, and, and lived through the COVID pandemic of 2020, that, that tested a lot of businesses and, and ours was certainly no different. And of all the clients uh, uh, that I was working with at the time who were facing their own challenges through, through COVID, uh, Dr. Harvey was, was the only one with resounding optimism who basically told me on, on one of our initial calls, don't worry, I've seen a lot worse than this. I got this thing. I know, I know how to deal with all the shutdowns, furloughs, and, and everything else. I got a playbook for this. So he was well, well prepared for what 2020 dished out. Absolutely. It was like a hurricane that never ended. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's even go uh, back a, a little bit prior to that. Um, and and will, if you don't mind, maybe um, beyond just your background, but uh, let's talk to the audience about what got you into dentistry in, in the first place, if you don't mind sharing some of your early journeys into the profession. Sure. So I, I grew up in a small town in eastern North Carolina, and one one grandfather was a uh, physician, um, just a general country doctor. Uh, other was a, an architect and builder. And, you know, dentistry was the closest uh, cross between uh, medicine and carpentry I could find. Um, I, I knew I wanted to help people and work in medicine and, and serve patients. But, uh, you know, I saw the hours my granddad kept going to the hospital and making rounds before his office opened all day at the office and then night rounds and, and you know, weekends and yeah, maybe not the lifestyle, uh, family lifestyle that I was I was looking for, and um, dentistry seemed like a you know, ironically, dentistry seemed like a, a, a low drama, uh, short work week, and then then you know I I, I started collecting practices, and, and that went out the window. Yeah, I think uh, that that is a a very well put uh, and safe to say transition that. Um, you, uh, you built a, a wonderful uh, practice uh, in Kinston, your hometown, and, and um, uh, it would be a model practice for, for most people who were endeavoring to own one location. But you got the, uh, the itch to, to the entrepreneurial itch, if you will, as, as many of our uh, audience can relate to that not only were you a successful uh, dentist from a clinical context, but you wanted to, to build a larger business that wasn't uh, 100% dependent upon your clinical skill set. Uh, do you want to talk about maybe how um, uh, how you arrived at that mindset of of or what the realization was maybe about owning more than one location and and um, how you approach that in the early phases of the business? Sure. So um, you know, all dentists are incorporated, and once you become an associate, you're part of a group. And and so you know, my journey was I got out of school and associated with a practice, uh, wound up buying a different practice uh, that I inherited a couple of associates with. So I've never known any different. Um, you know, we we outgrew our facility and built a larger one, and and pretty soon we outgrew it. And and so you know, there was some some limitation of the four walls we were in. Um, 
about that time, I had a, a friend uh, who was around retirement age, having some uh, some health challenges, and I popped in and helped uh, keep his practice afloat until he could presumably sell it. Little did I know that would be to me. Um, uh, not there far long thereafter, I was approached by another friend who had uh, embarked on the same journey at about the same time. And, and he found that that was maybe not a path that he wanted to go down and was, uh, looking to unload his, uh, his first, uh, uh, sort of satellite or venture into, uh, a, a second location. And, and so I wound up with that one as well. And, you know, it's an addiction. What can I say? They, they just, they just keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, um, you're you're very humble in the way that you uh, explain that. I like to tell people um, when I when I brag about you and the business that you built that um, I feel like you know your market arguably better than anybody I've ever worked with. Um, and, and whether it's tribal knowledge, where all the bones are buried. Um, who knows who out of small towns, the interconnected aspect of, of working in sort of a more, um, you know, rural type of an environment. You're not, you know, downtown Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And, and the, the way that you have that finger on the pulse of the marketplace is, is quite remarkable. And, it, and it's, furthermore, it's intentional. I mean, it's not something that um, just happens organically. It's something that you you put in the time, um, and, and really, um, have created a competitive advantage on that. If I'm, I'm being honest here. So, you know, as we talk about that, that sort of initial phase of growth, and we were joking about, um, uh, the hurricane, um, as, as well as COVID less so, but can you talk about maybe some of the other challenges that you confronted early on natural disasters, notwithstanding, but just, it's never an easy road to go from one to two or two to three. Um, and, and everybody faces different challenges along the way. Do you mind unpacking any of those for us that you? Sure. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a change in, in lifestyle. I mean, you know, as a very successful single dentist, um, you know, you, there's an income and in, in a lifestyle you become accustomed to, um, you know, this is not for the, the faint of heart. And, uh, in, instead of investing in beach houses and toys and things like that, I mean, you, it, you, you're going to have to count on plow, plowing a lot of money and investment back into, uh, you know, a business and some of them, uh, there can be a bit of a J hook after you take on a new location. Um, uh, I think you joked with me one time that I had an affinity for depreciated assets. And so we certainly found a, a few fixer uppers along the way. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes a year, two or three and having the staying power and the resources, um, you know, to, uh, to stick it out and, and make the changes that need to be made. Um, you know, the good news about offices like that is, they're doing most things wrong. So, you know, just there are plenty of levers you can pull and things you can uh, change that are pretty much anything you do is going to have an upside. Um, I was also fortunate during that time that I had a, a, a wife that was both uh, successful and supportive of our family and, uh, you know, believed in my vision and what I was doing and was willing to stick around. And uh, even though sometimes she asked me, why again are we doing this? And, you know, are we crazy? Uh, and, and so that, that was a, a big help as well. 
yeah, having having the support of of the family um, is is critical because there's some uh, there are some tough days where you face a lot of self doubt too. You know, I mean, running a multi-location group is, uh, like you say, it's not for the faint of heart. You can't be everywhere all the time. There are things that happen in those other four walls that you're not around to, to witness. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But it does uh, it does challenge you um, from a, a connectedness standpoint um, within those uh, within those locations. Um, obviously you've uh, rebuilt a number of businesses and and grown them quite successfully and it's been been really great to see along the the ways of, of your um i'll say initial phase of when we were working together um you were putting in a phenomenal amount of time into the business working clinically uh, basically a full load being full-time ceo I don't know if you ever added up the number of hours that you were actually working on and in the business. It's probably better if you didn't uh, ever add up those hours, but I know it was a lot because we talked about it on several occasions. But you know, currently, uh, as you think about um, where the business is now, how much of your time are you devoting to the business from clinical context and then um, you know from a leadership context? I keep failing at quitting uh, chairside <laughs> dentistry. Um, uh, I'm down to 30 hours clinical from from a, a peak of 32. Um, every time that I work my way out of a position, either I get pulled back in by growth or a new opportunity. Um, we've had you know doctors go out on maternity leave, health problems or issues, and and so I I get keep getting roped back in. Um, and, and so therefore my, my CEO time is really something I can't ever turn off. I mean, laying in bed at night or, or re- wherever I am, I mean, it's always on my mind, which is good. I mean, it's, it's something I enjoy doing. Um, uh, but a lot of that times that's in between patients, uh, lunch, uh, the drive home, uh, Friday mornings, uh, anytime I can carve away. And so that, that's a, that's something I'm working harder on, on, uh, you know, carving out time for, and hopefully within the next, uh, you know, office or two or associated to that we add, uh, I, I will be, uh, be able to be much more intentional and protective of, of time to work on the business. Yeah. I, I think what I've seen in you from a clinical context is that when we first started working together, um, you were, by far and away the largest clinical uh, engine in the business. And, and you probably still are close to it right now. But when we first started working together, you literally could not afford to take any time away from the chair because the business would start to take on water. And I think you mentioned something in your answer that you said you you fill in, um, you know, uh, in growth opportunities or when, when, a, when a practice starts, um, uh, adding additional days and you don't have enough for a full-time associate, you're kind of pinch hitting on that, but that's, that's the trajectory is going in the right direction. The boat is not sinking. It's, it's going faster and, and your ability to, to stand in for a short period of time to get that, biz, that particular practice up to a level of, um, sustainability and, and be able to afford a full-time associate is a, is a great, um, uh, you know, thing that you're able to provide, like from an interim standpoint, without a, the business being uh, wholly dependent upon that. So. Sure. Um, 
you know, flexibility is crucial to be able to do this. And, you know, I haven't seen many half dentists walking around right side or left side. Um, and, and so being able to plug people in fractionally in more than one place initially until the demand dictates a full-time position is, is key. And, you know, early on, um, an associate, even a minimum was a liability that we were taking on and, you know, couldn't always afford unless it, it did come out of my production. And, you know, through the years as we have uh, kind of refined our onboarding and our training uh, and mentorship, uh, you know, I, I now have associates that are producing right up there with me as, as I dial back and, and, you know, just a great group that uh, has been with us for a while and are, you know, more than holding their own. That's that's yeah. I, I've seen some of that as well, and I don't know the the associates, your your uh, partner or junior partners that well, but I've I've spent a little bit of time with them, and I think that is you mentioned onboarding and development of, of them, and I know this is a little bit of a recent endeavor for you, but I, I think you're really um, starting to to kind of get your sea legs underneath you a little bit about that, and starting to hit your stride with it. I think some of that's uh, industry partners that you've got and looking for resources outside of your own two, two shoulders, so to speak, um, to help facilitate that. Do you want to talk a little bit about just maybe the, the, um, associate dynamic about how you approach recruiting, uh, when you do have an uh, associate that's on board, how you think through development of those people and their skills and, and let's face it, that's done with the intention of minimizing turnover and retaining them for a long time, too. Sure. We joke with them that we hire for life. And, you know, that's not always true. But we, we want to create a best opportunity and best future where, you know, truly the package that that we, you know, put forth, um, you know, without the risk of debt of going at it alone, which is becoming increasingly difficult to do. Um, you know, finding best fits between associates, their desired hometown geographic area and, and kind of retiring dentist where, where we're really plugging someone into, to, you know, what's an ideal for them. And then, you know, supporting them with, uh, with CE and, and, and mentorship and, uh, expansion of procedures. And I'd be remiss if I didn't met, uh, mentioned the opportunity to earn equity. I mean, uh, I can't credit you solely for this. I think it was DeWalker that I was uh, saw speak at a meeting. And, you know, I'd been trying to figure out how, you know, if they all leave and I wake up, I can't be in six, seven, eight, ten 10 places tomorrow. It was hard enough trying to be in two or three offices at once. Um, you know, I appreciate the the blood, sweat, and tears that they've all put in and helping me build my business. And I want to reward them with some of that. I just could never figure out how. And, uh, you know, the, the the model that you guys have and have helped me put in place, I feel like it is, uh, uh, removes a lot of risk for them, yet lets them participate in, in the same upside that I see. And I, I think that's a, uh, helps me sleep better at night knowing that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, junior partners. I mean, I, I've got people with me that uh, I've supported through their early days in, in development. And uh, now that they're humming along, I want to keep them there and ensure that I'm taking the best care of them, that that there's just no other better opportunity for them uh, to leave otherwise. Yeah, I, I think um, 
you're seeing some of the early benefits of that in terms of the numbers, which is what everybody's always, you know, interested in falling back on. But, you know, I, I think the other thing is that uh, you mentioned uh, security and in, in terms of stability, and and it goes a, a long, long way when you have people um, operating with an owner mindset. You know, they take better care of the business, they take better care of the patients, they take better care of the staff, um, the equipment, everything else like that. It's uh, it really is the rising tide that that lifts all boats, and it's uh, it's it's really really great to see. I mean, I think you got a good group from what I've seen so far. And um, I look forward to obviously getting to know them better. You know, I'd, I'd also be remiss if, if I didn't say that, you know, your um, diligence and stick to for for lack of a better term, as it relates to to recruiting is, is really something um, that is, you know, you you read business school textbooks and stuff about competitive advantage and then you know how uh how people view a market one way uh, and s- say that there's no upside there and why you know why would you ever choose to compete in that market and um then you have somebody else that that looks at the same market and sees nothing but abundance of opportunity and yours is a um, is a marketplace that's not dominated by large cities um but really more small towns uh, that that have, I guess, stability in terms of population. But we're not talking about a huge boom, except for on the really coastal areas. So when when it comes to to figuring out the best way to recruit people who are from those areas to be in those areas and be the hometown hero, I, I think you've done such a remarkable job of that, and that really does create a lot of cohesion in your team. And, and again, stability is is great to see from that context. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, let me transition a little bit uh, with you out of um, the clinical context. And and let's talk about being um, the business owner, call it CEO, call it visionary, um, call it chief firefighter, whatever, whatever you would like to phrase it as, Um, you know, let's think about your leading the business, not just your clinical skills within the business, but what is some of the areas of greatest impact that you've made early on in, uh, on your business, not just from a clinical context, do you think? You know, I, I, I've always been the one to, if it's fixing a computer, changing the air filters. I mean, I, I think everybody in the organization realizes there, there's no job I'm too good to do or, or unwilling or haven't done. Um, and, you know, I, I try to set that example and, and I, I feel like everyone respects that. Um, you know, I, I guess one, one thing would be being crazy or foolish enough to take the risk early on and, and, uh, and, and go out, out and, and sort of take this challenge. Um, and then once I did that, I found myself in a place, uh, you know, kind of revisiting that, hurricane day or, or that time that I, I realized, hey, you know, we've got a, a lot wrapped up in this thing now. It, it's better that it succeeds. And so, you know, being able to, whether you call it coach or quarterback, but assemble a, a great team, um, you know, wh- whether it's my operations manager, or people in-house or our attorneys, accountants and, uh, you know, uh, you and, and Polaris, you um, you know, and, and I credit y'all with making a lot of the, the introductions to sort of the, the, the industry's best, um, you know, early on or even at my current stage, I can't afford uh, my own legal department, my own accounting department or marketing 
team that some some larger shops have, but uh, I can find you know the best fractional or contractors uh, to help me grow, and and you know then I can get out of their way, and so. Um, you know, I, I feel like that's been probably the most important part of my role. Yeah. Catalyst for growth. You can size it up a, a lot of different ways for sure. Um, uh, you know, as we talk about growth, you've, um, you've also had experience, um, uh, with some de novos, some cold starts, as well as a handful of acquisitions, uh, some small acquisitions and some large acquisitions. You've, You've really gotten a blend of of almost everything under the sun, short of like a, a pure play specialty practice or something like that. At least not yet, as we say. Um, any kind of words or wisdom or experiences you'd like to share with the audience relative to uh, the de novo um, aspect, and then maybe we can talk about acquisitions after that. Yeah, I'll I'll actually re- reverse the order, maybe if yeah. that's okay. On yeah, you. let her um, You know. I guess I, f- I kind of backed into this or fell into it as a way of, of helping retiring doctors. And, uh, you know, the opportunity for me is largely that the, uh, the transfer of practices is broken, changes in the lending laws. Uh, your average one doc shop where, you know, the seller wants to sell the practice, bring in an associate, and there's really not enough dentistry for either one of them, let alone both, uh, or, or ops or facility. And, and so, uh, you know, I was sat around in my, my hometown and, and uh, sort of region and watched uh, a lot of uh, divorces and, and, you know, just relationships not work out. And it not only harms the, the associate and the practice purchaser, but also the, the employee, the morale of the team, uh, and you know, possibly discontinuity to the patients and the seller. And, and so... You know, that was the problem that I set out to solve first is how can I help people get out of and get into practice, uh, you know, in a smooth, seamless manner. And, uh, and you know, through that, there, there were a lot of people that, that needed that or were at stages of their career where they were looking to, to exit. And um, that's how we kind of found and picked up the first few. Then, then it gets to a point of sure would be nice if there's a practice over here um, and, and, and there's not or. Uh, you know, we've we've uh, kind of given life support uh, to a few that were, you know, a big project. Let's try one that's humming along and doing well. There are less things for us to fix. And that may, may be a bad or good thing. Um, you know, it's a little more challenging to create margin there. Um, and uh, along the way, we, we fell into a uh, an empty space, uh, a doctor that had passed away. That was our first de novo. Um, by no means do I have the franchise model and, and, you know, set out to, to build my McDonald's from the ground up. And, and so it was more or less just popping into a space in a market we knew well where uh, sort of population in town, it grew that way. And I felt like the area c- could support a dentist. And uh, it, it was uh, a bit of a rocky start um, uh, that maybe cured me from, De novos for a while, although you know we're swinging back around and doing another one in the next couple of months. Um, you know, we m- maybe had a, a bit of a poor doctor fit, and a, and a, you know I couldn't be all places at once. There was really not the a- accountability to manage uh, the team there from a distance, and in that practice, uh, you know, struggled to ramp up at, at the speed we would have liked to have seen. Um, 
you know, we turned a couple of dials and, and, and made a couple of changes. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden it, it's, uh, it, it's been wildly successful and, and pretty much, um, you know, gone to facility in, uh, in less than a year. Um, and, and so hard lessons learned and we would approach it differently the next time. Um, uh, after that, uh, we, we swore we'd never do another one. We made a couple more acquisitions and, here comes another facility, and uh, and uh, I, I think we'll approach it with a, a little more uh, a little more seasoned background and and uh, kind of learn from our previous mistakes. Yeah, I think um, on that one that you're referencing that's that's coming up, I think you're approaching that de novo from a, a a point of strength and confidence relative to your new patient generation, and and you understand kind of like what your we as we say what your box is. You know, it's what's the What's the budget? What's the number of new patients? Um, how are we going to ramp to capacity to make sure that thing uh, breaks even operationally as quickly as we possibly can? And certainly from an equity context, um, I think the thing that gets so many people into trouble is that when they do a de novo, uh, it becomes a you know an Alice in Wonderland type thing. Like all of a sudden, the project takes on a life of its own. It takes too long to do. It the cost overruns are immense. It's supposed to be something, you know, relatively uh, uh, consistent with what any other practice would be. And then it becomes a Taj Mahal, you know. And and now you're chasing your tail, you know, on on something that went from being predictable to something that's a totally different animal. And I think, you know, what we've talked about with you is is kind of sticking to the knitting and making sure that we're mindful of what the overall investment is. And if there's some CapEx involved afterwards, how we're going to ramp and everything like that. And I, I feel like you're, uh, you're going to be playing from a lot of strengths on that one. And, and I think that'll be a proving ground for the next phase of your business as well. And that's going to be kind of cool to see, see because you, you're at a point uh, with your business uh, that a lot of people would envy from a standpoint of, having the opportunities to either pursue an acquisition-based growth strategy or a complementary de novo where acquisitions either don't exist, they're too old, they're too small, um, or, or they're overpriced, honestly. And, and I think that will create a lot of success uh, going, for you, going forward for you as well. Um, you know, as we talk about this kind of point in your journey, um, you know, how do you feel about your business right now? I mean, you own it. It's yours. Um, you're starting to have some partners coming into earning into the business, but this has sort of been your baby and your journey uh, along the way over the last uh, decade or more. I mean, how are, how are you feeling about the business at this point looking forward and, and even looking back? Sure. I'm, I'm starting to have a lot of fun. I mean, you know, everybody, calls it whether they call it the dark tunnel or or whatever you know there there were some times where i would have been better off to have just stayed uh put as a single doctor in a, in, in that shop and um you know it, it has taken a while to to sort of get back up to that from the uh uh investments that i've made but you know uh it, it wasn't an easy journey and uh without some sacrifice but uh you know, I, I feel like we're we're finally at a point where we're starting to to enjoy some of the fruit um, from from our labors that we we put in over that period of time. Um, we we've tried to build a uh, the best business we could build, um, not necessarily for any 
tailored to any specific exit strategy or anything else. Uh, we just want to take great care of people, whether it's our, our patients, our, our team, um, preserving the legacy of the sellers uh, as they exit and creating the best futures for our associates. And I think as long as we do that, we'll, we'll create value that'll keep all options open and, uh, and you know, hopefully lead us to a, a bright future. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a wonderful disposition to have uh, because I can't tell you how many people I talk to on the phone that all they talk about is the exit, you know, and it's got a couple of commas and a lot of zeros and just like everybody, everybody's in it for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And, and uh, there are others I talk to who are kind of halfway through that type of an objective and they're they're burned out, they're pissed off, they hate what they're doing, and, and there's no guarantee that they're going to get there. And, and at the end of the day, if you undertake this type of a journey, as, as you've lived through, it's incredibly stressful. Uh, and there are a lot of, a lot of low lows at times. Um, but I think you have to really love the journey. You have to love building it. And, and to hear you say it's becoming, it's starting to get kind of fun and you're really enjoying it um, is, uh, it, it, I don't want to say it's revelatory in, in our world, but it's just refreshing to hear. And I'm, I'm really, I'm happy for you because I know you, but I hope the audience takes some, some words of wisdom from that and really maybe takes a second to, to ask themselves, you know, exactly why they're, they're doing this. Is it really for the love or is it just for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Because one isn't guaranteed and, and the other may be compromised along the way if they're, if they're not careful. Um, so it, it kind of does bring me to a point where, you know, if, if we're looking back on your journey, you know, what's the one piece of advice or, or a couple of pieces of advice even you might share with yourself um, uh, if you could talk to yourself when you were starting out? You know, the, the old question of if I knew then what I know now, I would uh, and, you, and you can't say don't do it. <laughs> so, Sure. Um, you know, it, it was uh, something, as I said, that I never really set out to do. Um, and initially it just sort of happened with how can I help someone and uh, which is great. I mean, that, that's, that's a, a beautiful thing. And we look to help people at every stage, but uh, you know, had I gotten a little clearer about my vision of where I wanted to go and why, and, uh, and, and shared that uh, probably more widely with my, my team, I, I think that we kind of probably moved a little more quickly Um you know, uh, early on those days and we go back to the hurricane day, it's like how, you know, we're, we're more or less broke. We've been closed for a while. How can we afford to hire, uh, whether it's parent or another advisor, how, you know, how can we afford not to, I mean, you know, making those investments, uh, not necessarily having to reinvent the wheel, but, um, you know, partnering or collaborating with those sort of, uh, industry best practices, uh, uh, third-party services, whatever, um, and getting it right at practice one or practice two. It's a lot easier to, um, you know, build those systems and, and define them and simplify them early on in the game uh, than to stop and have to circle back around and do that when you've got, you know, more offices and potentially some disgruntled 
uh, employees and things and, and, and you're just building it cause it's what's broken, which, you know, that that's going to happen too. Yeah. Change management's hard on everybody. And the smaller the, the business is and, or the earlier phase, you can get some of the right things in place. Um, uh, you're usually better off for it. Those sage words of wisdom there. Uh, any parting words of wisdom you'd like to share with our audience on, on anything that we haven't covered yet or, or anything that you'd, you'd like to share with the, uh, the people out there? No, I just I appreciate everyone's uh, time and for tuning in today and particularly uh, pairing you and, and Polaris and all you guys have done uh, to, to help us along our journey and along our, our growth and uh, wish everyone the best. Um, it's not always ways easy, but keep your head up and don't quit. And uh, I hope you have similar or greater success. Well, that's wonderful. It's uh, It's been a real joy this afternoon. Um being able to have this interview with you. I can't thank you enough for your time. You're, you're a busy guy, a father, a husband, and uh, you got a lot of things going on and it's a pretty day outside. So I'm sure you'd rather be out on the boat fishing a little bit right now, but I, I appreciate you taking some time with me and I know our audience will be the better for it. So uh, on behalf of everyone, thanks so much. And to all those in the audience, we will do more of these uh, personal journeys type podcast because I think it's really great for you to hear um, directly the, the words from the lips of some of the people that we've had the privilege of working with and some of their challenges, some of their opportunities, some of their strengths uh, and the things they've learned along the way. So until the next time, we'll see you on the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Well, I hope you found all of that educational and informative. Dr. Harvey is a great guy. He's a lot of fun to work with. I'm blessed to be able to call him a, a friend and a client, but he really has built uh, a tremendous business in Eastern North Carolina. And um, I'm really proud of him and proud of the relationship I have with him. I hope you got uh, some uh, nuggets and pearls of wisdom out of what he shared. I also hope that you're finding the content that we share in our podcast to be content that you can apply uh, in a certain area of your business or that you're learning from and you hope to apply in the future. And when you do have questions or comments, I encourage you to send them my way. You can reach me via email at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. We do have a question that I wanted to take on today's show. I do get a number of questions and I respond to them directly most of the time. But this one was an interesting one from William in Denver, Colorado. And the question basically centers around the biggest challenge facing dentistry going forward. I think this is an interesting question because obviously we're all coming out of the COVID pandemic, uh, and that really shed a lot of light on people's businesses that they had built up to this point, how much of a backstop in terms of cash and liquidity they had to fall back on, and how they were, were able to execute on their game plan coming out of it. But on a forward-looking basis, what are some of the biggest challenges we confront as an industry? And I'm going to give you one that I hear um, that I was hearing more and more often prior to COVID, and that I certainly think uh, general dentistry uh, is confronting, uh, whether you're aware of it or not. And that is the commoditization of dental care services. This is something that frightens me a little bit, honestly because I think there's a change in consumerism that's happening with what I might call a typical dental patient. And, and I, I should probably 
contrast that a little bit. When I say typical dental patient, I'm usually talking about the younger set of patients that view dental care more as a commodity. They make healthcare decisions in and around uh, low cost of services and convenience. And specifically, when I say convenience, I mean accessing dental care um, outside of the hours of eight to five. The ADA has done uh, some good work on this and has written about it uh, in some of the studies that they've released. And I think the challenge here for us in dentistry is communicating a value proposition, usually through a website, through marketing, um, uh, promotion, any, any other way that you're trying to reach the end consumer based on what your marketing plan is, how you differentiate yourself, your services, and your practice, and that could be aesthetics and environment as well, um, and how you are positioning your business to attract the younger set of consumers, younger set of patients. I worry that if people view dental services as simply any other interchangeable commodity, it really will compromise the, um, the delivery of care at some level and will become unbelievably frustrating uh, to too many owners out there in the marketplace. So when we talk about marketing healthcare services, communicating a value proposition, branding, um, hours of availability and convenience, maybe even on weekends, um, and, and the way you price your services, I think if you're going to be in the profession and the practice of dentistry for another decade or more, this is going to be something that you're going to have to confront. And, and I do think that if you're not out ahead of this, um, you could get uh, lumped into a basket with just everyone else. And that's where, not where any of us want to be. So the commoditization of healthcare services, specifically dentistry here, um, and general dentistry more importantly, uh, is something that is a, a concern of mine as I look out over the next probably decade to two plus decades to come. And I think it's something that more and more people need to be mindful and aware of. So thank you, William, for submitting that question. I do appreciate it. I hope that's somewhat of a credible answer for you. Moving on from that, and on the personal note, the uh, something new, noteworthy, and cool front. Uh, many of you who know me know that I'm a little bit of a self-professed coffee snob. Um, I wear that badge uh, rather proudly. I like good coffee, straight black coffee, and strong coffee, espresso, Italian roast, French roast. One of my favorite things in life uh, is a French press, which is one of those little pots that you put the grounds in, you pour hot water on top of it, and you push a little plunger down and let it steep for a couple of minutes. That makes the greatest coffee in the world because uh, basically the coffee is brewed with all of the oils in it. And you really get a, a flavor um, for just how good coffee can be. Starbucks actually has a machine in some of their locations called a clover machine. Uh, they don't have it in all of them, but they have it in a few of them. And it's like a glorified French press, but it makes some of the best coffee I've ever had. I know some people don't like Starbucks coffee. It's too strong for some or it's too bitter for some. Um, I happen to be a big fan of their dark roast and specifically the clover machine. We have something here at the house um, called a Verismo, which Starbucks has its own type of little pods that go in it, makes super strong coffee. And it's probably the closest thing that I've found to actually brewing a French press that I can have at home. It's a cup at a time and, and basically instantly ready. So I wanted to share that because I know that 
a handful out there are, are also um, coffee aficionados. And I'm actually going to ask a request of the audience. I don't think I've ever done this before. If you are one of those that really likes great coffee and you have some type of a home coffee system that makes real strong coffee, espressos and things like that, I'd love to know what it is. I'm considering putting one in my house. Um, we're not building a house, so I can't build it around one of those super Zoom coffee makers uh, that requires a water line and everything else like that. But there are a lot of good ones that are out there that are certainly um, far beyond what a Keurig um, could do. And they also are able to produce coffee on a relatively fast basis. The downside of that French press is you got to boil water. That takes time. You got to grind the beans and, and pour them in. So it, it's a production. Maybe on a Saturday morning, that would be perfect. But for those of us on the go, um, especially during the work week, it's uh, not the most convenient thing. So if you've got a coffee maker that you love, um, that can brew strong coffee, um, and it's really part of a, uh, the, the joy of your day, I'd love to know what it is. I'm considering putting one uh, in my uh, house and potentially even in my office. So I thank you in advance for sharing that with me. You can submit it to me via email, which is perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. So today was a lot of fun. I hope you did get a lot out of it. We always try to bring a lot of content, a lot of value, and a lot of detail in our podcast. If you do, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And like I say, if you've got questions or comments, feel free to submit them directly to me at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Of course, I'll try to read them on the air or answer them uh, directly if that's uh, more appropriate. And of course, you can find out more about us, who we are, off of our website, at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. Appreciate you joining me today and we'll see you on the next episode.